Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Today, strangers, our story takes us to a state that we've never before visited on our trek through this nation's weird stuff. We're in Iowa, home to 3 million people and 23 million hogs, give or take. Those are real census and USDA figures, by the way. And we are not here to knock hogs, or Iowans. But a more than 7 to 1 hog-to-person ratio just felt worth mentioning, because it's, well, a, a lot of swine. We're certainly delighted to share that figure with you today. However, this episode is not about farm animals. But it does concern Iowa City, the state's fifth biggest metro area. Per the city's official website, it's home to a lot of history. Iowa City was briefly the state capital, and the University of Iowa was founded there in 1847. And the city is also home to the famous Oakland Cemetery. It's a city-run burial ground that first opened in 1843, and it's still operational today. Across its 40 acres are the resting places of many noteworthy Iowans. But... Today's story is focused less on those who are under the ground and more on a certain statue that stands above it. And we should note, before we get in too deep, throughout this episode, you'll hear a lot from the Iowa City Press Citizen. It's not the case that we're leaning hard on one article here. Rather, this publication has doggedly covered this story and this statue since the 1970s. And we salute them for making our lives easier. But the story of the Black Angel actually begins well before the 1970s. So let's travel all the way back to 1912. That's when, according to the press citizen, Mrs. Teresa Dolezal Voldevere received the angel she had ordered for the Oakland Cemetery. Teresa was born in Bohemia in 1836, 
and as the press citizen wrote, quote, Little is known of her early life other than that she was a practicing physician in Bohemia. However, her license was not recognized when she came to Iowa, and she became a midwife, a profession she followed for the rest of her life. Though Teresa did have a son, Edward, we don't know anything about his father. Edward, who was born in Bohemia, later became a drug clerk in Iowa City. Why Iowa City? Well, why not? But honestly, we just don't know. We do know that Edward died in 1891, at the age of 18. Per the press citizen, he'd contracted meningitis. And we do know that he was buried in, you guessed it, Oakland Cemetery. Teresa, bereaved, moved to Eugene, Oregon shortly after her son's death. In Eugene, she met and married Nicholas Foldever sometime around the turn of the century. And sadly, he too died not long afterward, in 1911. According to the press citizen, Teresa elected to send Nicholas's body down to Iowa City to be buried with her son. And as part of that process, she commissioned a Bohemian artist, someone named Yu Mario Corbell, to design a monument to her son and her husband. How much input Teresa versus the artist had in the final product, we're not sure. But the sculpture was, and is, a sight to see, even in photos. First and foremost, the angel is huge. She stands eight and a half feet tall and has a wingspan close to that length too. And for added effect, she stands atop a three-foot stone pedestal. According to the leader post, quote, her bowed head, covered by a helmet, hides her face from view. Her clearly feminine body is draped in a flowing gown. She holds her right wing high, her left wing low and tucked behind her. The combination creates a feeling of foreboding. And we have to second that, strangers. It's a striking statue, if we do say so ourselves, particularly when compared with its neighbors in Oakland Cemetery. As the press citizen wrote, quote, according to cemetery officials, angels on graves usually are positioned with their heads and wings uplifted as a symbol of help in the ascent to heaven. But judging by her stooped body language, this angel is certainly not ascending. According to a different article from the Press Citizen, the statue arrived on truck at the Oakland Cemetery on November 21st, 1912. Teresa was to pay for the commission when she received the statue, and it was a huge sum of money, around $150,000 in today's cash. But Teresa either didn't have the money or she refused to pay, depending on who's telling the story. The press citizen wrote that she was not pleased with the final statue for whatever reason, but that's not the case in all retellings. There might have been a court case that delayed the angel's installation for a few years. Again, it changes depending on the account. Ultimately, the statue was erected around 1912, and nobody seems to be able to give more clarity about the timeline than that which is frankly irritating for us podcasters who'd love a coherent narrative. But our needs weren't really at the top of anyone's list a century ago. In any case, once the angel statue was up, Nicholas and Eddie's remains were relocated underneath it. And a decade or so later, when Teresa died, 
she too was laid to rest in the same spot. Now, thus far, strangers, we haven't given you a lot of that creepy, otherworldly stuff that you usually come here for. That is about to change. See, the story leading up to the angel's arrival in Iowa City is largely unknown, and it might even seem very earthly. People die, and their loved ones build monuments. That's not unusual. But what is unusual is the mythos that has sprung up around the Black Angel, seemingly without any help from Teresa Foldevere. It helps, of course, that the angel cast in bronze is evocative, all on her own. An obscured face with an unreadable expression will do that, as will her sheer size. But she's best known nowadays as the Black Angel, and it doesn't take a metalsmith to know that bronze is generally not black. We will return to the finer points of metals and chemistry in a bit. But for now, you just need to know this. At some point early in the Black Angel's career, the bronze statue did indeed turn black. And people, well, they went nuts about it. By that, we mean that theories spread as to how and why the angel had changed color. The press citizen wrote in 1979 that she might have, quote, turned black one night in a terrible storm to remind people of the sins of one of the errant daughters in the family. Whose daughter, which family, and what sins? That article was devastatingly unclear. In 1996, and on Halloween because when else, the press citizen shared even more theories that had apparently been percolating for decades. Among them, quote, A University of Iowa female is not a true co-ed until she has been kissed in front of the angel. If an innocent girl is kissed in front of the angel, the statue will return to its original color, and the curse that turned it black will be lifted. You'll notice, strangers, some icky implications about purity there. It does seem that the angel took on a reputation for having something to do with those topics. Though, again, we can't say this is based on anything, because it appears not to be. But the press citizen wrote that there are many stories of the statue's origins that eschew Teresa and her family entirely. Quote, One story goes like this. A grieving husband erected a white angel over his wife's grave. A terrible thunderstorm occurred during the night of her burial, and a burst of lightning struck the angel, turning it black as a sign of her infidelity. Now, of course, strangers, we'd love to respond to that idea with some snark about simply looking at the grave markers underneath the angel and realizing that these stories are bunk. But to be fair, it's really not quite that simple. The markers simply list the names Teresa, Nicholas, and Edward. Teresa's marker only has a birth date and no death date, so it's not as though there's a museum placard right there to place everything in context. And without that, well, people will create their own stories. It's human nature, after all. And it's also human nature to stew on the idea of a cemetery and of death. People have concocted Black Angel stories about that too, of course. Per the leader post, quote, 
To kiss the black angel means immediate death. Anyone touching the angel at midnight on Halloween will die within a day or a week or a year or seven years, depending on the version. The statue is said to turn darker each year on Halloween because of all the people she has killed. And the Daily Iowan wrote this in 1977. Quote, Nearly every poet in town has made a pilgrimage to the Black Angel statue in Oakland Cemetery and eventually composed a poem about it. We don't know how many poets were floating around Iowa City back in those days, strangers, but it sounds like the angel was in perfectly creepy company. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode, kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. The other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest, in this nowhere area? And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes. And they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm sure you've heard the old adage that you should learn something new every day. It's good advice, but with so much to do, are you making time to learn and stay curious about our world? Well, with Everything Everywhere Daily, you can easily make that goal a reality. Everything Everywhere Daily is one of the world's most popular daily education podcasts. In about 10 minutes, you can learn something new every day. The show covers history, science, geography, mathematics, and technology, as well as biographies from some of the world's most interesting people. One listener says the show truly makes my day more enjoyable and entertaining. Fans of the show are so passionate, they even work to join the Completionist Club, the group of dedicated listeners who've listened to all 900-plus and counting episodes. I highly recommend you check out Everything Everywhere Daily's recent episodes on Why Are There No Flying Cars? and The Little Ice Age That Happened 700 Years Ago. Learn something new every single day with Everything Everywhere Daily. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. In 1983, the Press Citizen reported that a vandal had covered a number of Oakland Cemetery grave sites, including the Black Angel, in paint. But the Angel, frankly, did not get the worst of it. Per the Press Citizen, quote, an upside-down cross was painted onto the black angel. 
Slogans such as, Lord have mercy, have a nice day, scream in hell, and your name here were painted on the tombstones. Other slogans carried obscenities. And unlike the marble gravestones, the angel was made of metal and it was able to be cleaned. That made it easier to restore and that was a rare gift. The cemetery went on record to say that many of the pieces of stonework were probably ruined. And as far as we can tell, the vandals involved in that recorded incident were never caught. But there are in fact other local rumors to discuss here about vandals whose violations of the angel were swiftly met with ugly consequences. And here we do offer a caveat. These stories were not actually reported on as real-life incidents, and we can't prove that they actually happened. Rather, the newspapers reported on them as local legend, but legend that is fervently believed. So, with that out of the way, according to the Muscatine Journal, there are plenty of stories about people who defaced the angel and paid the price. Quote, a popular story is that of a group of four boys who defaced the monument, resulting in a fatal four-car accident later that same evening. Another involves a college student in the 1970s who, while attempting to break a wing off a statue, fell off and bruised his arm. The next morning, the bruise had grown larger and moved up his arm throughout the day, leaving the black part paralyzed until it reached his shoulder and then disappeared after he returned and apologized to the angel. And strangers, as recently as 2016, the Oakland Cemetery groundskeeper told KCUR that he'd heard a strange story from some recent visitors. And he might be a more credible source than simple legend alone. He said, quote, This woman said that she and her husband came here several years ago. They both kissed the black angel on the foot. He got some rare disease. They were convinced it was the curse from the Black Angel. This all certainly sounds like a curse of some kind, although we are hardly experts in the subject. In any case, the Black Angel's presence in Iowa City is certainly bigger than her admittedly massive wingspan. Friends of the podcast who've seen her in the flesh, bronze, have testified to us that she is ominous and captivating, and sometimes surrounded by a circle of people doing who knows what. That's none of our business, and we will happily keep it that way. What's more important is that this statue has overcome its original purpose of mourning and has ascended into a pantheon of local folklore. Per the press citizen, hundreds of people, including from out of state, visit the statue every year, mostly on Halloween. It's all in good fun, and it's all near impossible to prove anyway, right? Well, it might be. Except for one strange thing. Strangers, it's time to talk about chemistry. We did prepare you for some science, after all. Now, outside of the mythos that has festered around the Black Angel for the last century, there is a pretty widely accepted explanation for her color change. It's actually unusually widely accepted by our standards. So here's the first thing you need to know about bronze. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, bronze is an alloy, 
basically a composite metal that's actually made of copper and tin. You might already know that the Statue of Liberty is made primarily of copper too. That's why she arrived to the United States, well, bronze, and has since aged to that light greenish color. Pennies will do the same thing. That process of being exposed to the elements and changing color isn't at all unusual in the world of metals. Metal things rust, corrode, and weather. So most sources are quite certain that the Black Angel is black because of predictable weathering. And a lot of those sources, frankly, come off as kind of smug about it. As the Leader Post wrote in 1997, quote, The true explanation of the Black Angel's color is simple. Oxidation over the years turned the bronze to black. What a disappointment. Her facial expression tells nothing. Why did legends grow up about her? In fact, strangers, most of the articles that we've cited for you include some sort of smart-alecky nod to the understanding of oxidation. Even the official Iowa City website blames, quote, exposure to the elements. The gist here is that it's basic chemistry and that we should all grow up a little. There's just one problem, of course, and that is that bronze does not oxidize or weather to black. According to a University of Texas site about fine art pieces, quote, bronze starts out as reddish gold and weathers to a bluish green or brown. To become black, bronze requires human intervention. For millennia, Bronze casters had applied chemicals to create a black patina over the surface of bronze statues. Hear that, strangers? Bronze is only black if we make it that way, in an active process, at the beginning of an artwork's life. Now, we should say, and we hope this isn't any news to you, but we are not art historians or material scientists or any other kind of expert who would really be able to weigh in on this. But what we will say is that we spent way too long trying to figure this out by scrolling through Google image results for searches like bronze, old. And what we found in that cutting-edge research is that bronze really doesn't tend to weather black. It's most common, even in ancient bronzes, to see browns and greens. Think of the Statue of Liberty because, remember, bronze is largely made of copper. If not unique, the Black Angel is certainly unusual because she does seem to be a good deal darker than bronze works usually look after 100-odd years. There are perhaps some little streaks of that telltale coppery green in the folds of her wings, depending on the photo you're looking at. But she does, in fact, look pretty uniformly black. In fact, that University of Texas page we mentioned had photographs of bronzes that were given a black patina, and those look pretty close to the angel's complexion. But say the angel had always been blackened, why would locals be so insistent that she had changed color? And why would there have been so much fervor over what had caused the color change if, in fact, it never happened? It will not surprise you strangers to learn that this is a topic of some contention, as with a lot, dare we say, most, of the angel's story. There's not much reliable information out there about when the color changed, or 
if it ever did. Most of those myths involving an impure woman seem to assume that the change happened after the angel was installed in the Oakland Cemetery. But there are certainly accounts suggesting that the angel arrived in Iowa with a black patina. And once again, we really do mean suggesting, because hard proof, it is not. As Jim Wonick, a cemetery maintenance worker, told the Press Citizen in 1996, everybody kept telling me it turned black on the ship coming overseas, but then I found out it wasn't true because the statue came from Chicago. We should think, strangers, that a simple instance of metal weathering to a predictable shade just wouldn't cause so much commotion or confusion. Bronze has been a commonplace material since the literal Bronze Age. So if people have insisted for over a century that something's off about this bronze in particular, well, we'd find it foolish not to listen. You don't have to believe that all of this was caused by a curse, or a lightning bolt, or infidelity, or some other malevolent force. But you also don't have to believe that the explanation is entirely mundane. Not if you don't wish to. Some stories just don't fit easily into the obvious explanation. They simply are, and they weather the years in exactly the unique way that they're supposed to. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Strangers, I've released my first book, and it's available everywhere now as an audiobook, hardcover, and ebook. It actually came out just last month. I read the audio version myself. It's called Lay Them to Rest, and it's about John and Jane Doe's, my years-long experience following forensic experts around the country, and our efforts to solve the mystery of a cold case. One Strange Thing is an independently produced podcast. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, you now have three options to enjoy two extra bonus episodes a month. On Apple Premium and Supercast, you can get bonus episodes delivered to your app of choice for just $2.99. And for $2 more a month on Patreon, you get more fun extras. There you'll find ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, two full-length bonus episodes, monthly giveaways, blog posts, and occasional live streams, all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check out one of these options and support the show. There's a link in our show notes. And if you enjoy One Strange Thing, please take a moment to leave us a great rating or review on your favorite podcast app. It really helps. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.